Well, hello and uh, welcome to Pep Talk, the Persuasive Evangelism Podcast. I'm Andy Bannister, the Director of the Solas Centre for Public Christianity, and I am flying solo today. My, uh, my wonderful co-host, Christy Mayer, uh, is in bed uh, with the flu, unable to, uh, to speak, let alone respond to emails. So you only have me today, uh, but thankfully you don't just have me. We have a wonderful guest uh, joining us. Uh, we have uh, Peter S. Uh, Williams joining us all the way uh, from Southampton. Peter is a, a philosopher and a apologist, an evangelist, a writer, a thinker, wears various hats. He's the, the assistant professor uh, for communication and worldview at Gimla Collins School of uh, Journalism and Communication over in Norway, and uh, also does a lot of stuff with the European Leadership Forum, an organization I'm also involved with. Peter, your bio and your list of books goes on and on and on. Um, quite a resume there. Welcome to the show. Uh, thank you very much, Andy. It's great to be here. So, Peter, one of the things that you're, you're known for, and there's many things that you have an interest in, but I think one of the things you're you're known for is engaging and responding to atheism particularly the, the so-called new atheism yeah. and of course that really kind of hit its height perhaps in the in, in the in the last decade uh with Dawkins and Dennett and and, and others but of course Richard Dawkins has, has hit the best-selling stands again I was in Waterstones the other day and Richard's new uh book Outgrowing God is there uh, on the best-selling sort of a uh, column uh, shelf there in, in Waterstones and it's getting reviews and picking up in the media. And again, people are thinking, gosh, how do I respond uh, to this? So I guess perhaps an opening question is, you know, what's going on with the, with the new atheism? And, and how would you encourage perhaps a Christian who perhaps has, you know, colleagues and friends, fellow students, if they're university students, mm. throw this stuff at them? How as Christians do we begin responding uh, to Dawkins and not letting it be an obstacle to the gospel? Yeah, well, I think um, in a sense we can take Dawkins and, and the rest of the New Atheism as, as an opportunity for the gospel. Uh, I think it's put uh, God and Christianity uh, back on the public agenda uh, and has opened doors for conversations um, in a way that uh, 20 years ago th these conversations weren't really part of the public square in the way that the New Atheism has made it. Um, so there is sort of an opportunity there, uh, as well, of course, uh, as, as the challenges uh, that are raised by the by the misinformation that these folks put out in their books and their documentaries and so on. Do you think in in anything that Dawkins is uh, is kind of writing? Is there anything is there anything new? Is there sort of are there kind of new arguments that Christians need to be thinking about, or is this really kind of a, a repackaging of, of critiques and criticisms of the Christian faith that have been around for a while? Yeah, it's really a repackaging of uh, very old ideas. Um, and you read Richard Dawkins talking about biblical studies. It's as if nothing has happened since uh, sort of 19th century German li liberalism and Rudolf Boltmann, uh, basically, as far as he's concerned. Um, and uh, a few years ago, I wrote a book called C.S. Lewis versus the New Atheists, where I pointed out that that the kind of atheism um, that was abroad in the Oxford of uh, Lewis's younger days, uh, when he was at Oxford and being a, a professor first at, at Oxford, um, Lewis was imbibing the kind of atheism uh, that today's new atheists are promulgating, and partly because many of today's new atheists did their doctoral studies at Oxford under professors who would have been colleagues at Lew of Lewis's back in the 1930s and 40s and 50s. 
you know, one of the things that that I was particularly struck by, Peter, when I when I read the the New Atheists when they sort of first came out, kind of ten years ago, and I think you still see the pattern today, is some of the uh, the real kind of anger, almost, and, and and quite viciousness in in the way that they go for the Christian faith. And I think a lot of people find this on online. I meet many Christians who sort of say they're almost afraid of sharing their their Christian faith, their Christian opinions online, because then suddenly, you know, you get the kind of online atheism crowd. They're not all like this, but some of them are of the Dawkins variety who come on very vitriolically what is what is going on there what's what's behind the kind of the sort of anger and the style that we sometimes see in some of the new atheism yeah that that's what's new if anything is new about the new atheism the, the idea that religion's not only kind of intellectually mistaken but it's morally bad it's morally bad for individuals and for society it's a sort of sort of societal evil that needs to be fought against so there's a sort of element of a sort of uh, um, uh, political uh, movement to the new atheism. Um, and as we know from any sort of online discussions uh, about uh, any sort of um, contentious uh, political societal issues these days uh, with the rise of, of engagement over social media, um, that can become uh, very fraught and something that generates more more heat than light. So we have to tread uh, very carefully and uh, do our best, absolute best to, you know, follow the biblical command to be speaking the truth in love uh, and also to listen uh, to people in love uh, and to have the wisdom to know when a conversation is fruitful and when it's just going nowhere uh, and uh, should be just uh, left behind. You know, it's interesting that uh, a minute or two ago you mentioned C.S. Lewis because you didn't engage with him in your book on C.S. Lewis and the New Atheist. And I think it's it's interesting, of course, because not many people are aware that Lewis was an atheist for, for a large chunk of his yeah, life. Yeah. Became a Christian, and one of the myths I think we hear a lot in the secular world today is that people don't do that. You know, you, people people leave the Christian faith and abandon their faith. <laughs> um, but the fact that somebody who's a thinking atheist might go the other way is that idea sort of uh, sort of a blast from the past. Um, you know, is Lewis that was that was fine back then, but today you know atheists stay atheists, or is it actually the case that uh, you know people who are thinkers and uh, and perhaps quite skeptical can actually change their position? Yeah, I, I think. Uh... People's uh, people at all uh, various levels of depths of thinking about these issues change uh, from one side to another in in both directions. Of course, I don't have any uh, statistics to tell you exactly how many in which direction at any particular time. You need to go and ask a pollster uh, about that sort of thing. But I can certainly think of of names of uh, intellectuals, of philosophers, and scientists, and so on who have been atheists and have become. Uh, theists or Christians um, over the years uh, since uh, Lewis is by no means the only example. Yeah, that's encouraging to hear because I say I think sometimes, you know, Christians can be put quite off by the idea that actually there's, you know, the intellectual battle's been lost when it when it really hasn't. Um, so another another question I'd really like to to ask you about is one of the one of the other th- threads I've seen running through the new atheism over the years has been um, their view of Jesus is fascinating. Mm. Um, I mean, Dawkins, I found, I found fascinating actually how in his you know famous book, the God delusion, I don't actually think he fully knows what to do with Jesus. That sort of makes a few <laughs> derisory comments in places. But one of the things that some of the new atheists have popularized is the idea that actually Jesus never existed. Um, and I remember being sort of quite surprised even relatively recently, I was doing an event at a, at a university 
uh, down the coast from where I live here in Dundee in Scotland. Mm. And, uh, you know, after I got talking to an atheist, you launched straight into the, well, Jesus never existed, um, which is a very sort of surprising view to hear because actually it's not held that widely in, in, in academia. Um, I just wonder if you had some comments on that, because I know you've done work in that area, particularly on how the new atheists yeah. Jesus. What, what, what is going on with, with Jesus and the new atheism? And again, how as Christians can we respond to some of this, Peter? Well, I think by quoting the new atheists themselves would be a good place to start, uh, because although, I mean, folks like Dawkins sometimes kind of skirt around the, the, the issue of the historicity of Jesus or give the impression that, you know, there's a, a good academic case to be made that he didn't exist, even Dawkins, uh, frankly, admits that Jesus probably did exist. Uh, or um, you look at someone like uh, Lawrence uh, Krauss uh, says uh, that Jesus was a real historical person. Or Sam Harris uh, talks about Jesus, the Buddha, Lao Tzu, and the other saints and sages of history. Um, so the new atheists themselves, by and large, actually admit that there was a historical Jesus. Their real issue is over how much can be known about him, historically speaking. So I guess on that question, suppose, you know, someone listening to this has a, is having a, has a conversation with a friend at university or, or work, and their friend says to them, you know, we really can't know much about the historical Jesus. How should they respond? What's a, what's a good sort of sort of, sort of pushback on that to open the conversation out? Because I guess you would you would take issue like I would with the idea that we can't know much about the Jesus of history. Yeah, yeah. Um, so one thing uh, again, like like suggesting quoting the new atheists back on that issue is is to quote uh, non-believing scholars, uh, to quote atheist and agnostic uh, New Testament scholars say. Uh, who, uh, on uh, issues of, uh, you know, there are certain things that we we are very sure about, about the historical Jesus. Uh, so I think it's um, the new atheist, uh, the, new, uh, the atheist New Testament scholar, Gerd Ludman, who says uh, that uh, the fact that Jesus was crucified is, is one of the most sort of securely established, most certain uh, facts of ancient history. Um, so uh, you can quote uh, scholars that won't raise uh, the issue, and it's it's a canard of, of an issue, um, but you will sometimes hear this of, oh, you know, you, you're just quoting Christian scholars and they're biased and so we can't trust them. Um, you know, you don't even raise that issue if you can quote, uh, you know, agnostic and, uh, and Jewish and atheist, uh, New Testament scholars and historians and classicists uh, talking about, you know, there's a certain range of data about the historical Jesus that is very commonly uh, accepted uh, within academia. Now, Peter, one thing I'm I'm very conscious of as you and I have this conversation, you and I are both both academics you know we're both uh we're both we're both philosophers and dabbled in other other things as well and somebody listening to this might say well it's okay for you gentlemen you know you're so incredibly right widely read you know all of the literature you know some of this is going over my head um how can how can the how can the ordinary christian for want of a better word who who hasn't got a, a doctoral degree in this stuff mm. begin getting themselves equipped not so they can necessarily you know take on a dawkins but so they can engage well at work at home at school what's a good way in to some of the things that you've talked about for someone who's who's new to some of this yeah i would I'd say some some of the good ways in are um, um to look at good material uh, on uh, YouTube, for example, um, watch some of the debates between 
um, say, Christian philosopher like William Lane Craig and the atheists that he debates with, um, go and look at um, the material on his Reasonable Faith uh, website will will lead you to his debates, or you can look them up on YouTube, or to listen to debates on um, uh, Justin Briley's uh, Unbelievable question mark program on the Premier Christian Radio, where he hosts uh, debates between um, believers and non-believers. Um, also, to uh, just begin reading some some sort of entry level uh, apologetic material. Um, I'd recommend, for example, reading some of the books uh, by the American journalist Lee Strobel, um, who he himself was one of those uh, guys who was an atheist, uh, applied his journalistic training to thinking about the God question, the Jesus question, and eventually became a Christian. And he's written a series of books in which he sort of retraces that journey from atheism to Christianity. And and instead of um, just you know reading the material that he read at the time, he goes and interviews the scholars. Uh, so uh, they're very nicely written um, uh, interviews with people as a nice entry-level way of getting um, a, a breadth of information uh, about some of these issues. That's uh, that's really helpful advice, um, Peter. It's interesting. I always often point people to you know First Peter three fifteen and sixteen, where it talks about always being prepared to mm. give a reason and saying this. We live in such an age now where there's such great resources, and uh, you know Lee Strobel, who you mentioned, and uh, and others. There's a great way in. So I think for somebody who to whom who is new to this. There are, there are great ways to, yeah, to, to yeah. dabble the feet in the water. On the other hand, there are also people who are called um, to the life of the mind. I mean, you know, many brilliant young men and women who are Christians, who are students in our universities. For those who want to go deeper, I think one of the questions, you know, they often face is, you know, how do, as a Christian, you sort of balance the life of the mind and the, and the life of being faithful to Christ? And I was just uh, looking up your, um, your prolific in terms of your, your writing and your latest book, is is called a faithful guide to philosophy, which I think is a great title. So I guess a, a sort of question, perhaps slightly from left field, I wanted to put at you is how do you, as a Christian, do philosophy faithfully? How do you engage with a world of ideas? That the real challenges to the Christian faith is not easy. I think as a Christian going into philosophy, I know I, I've had I've had I have friends studying philosophy who say that they before they studied philosophy, their you know their pastors warned them off it. You know, don't as a Christian study it, you'll lose your faith which yeah. I think you and I would both disagree with. How as a Christian can you really engage well for those of us who are thinkers and do that faithfully? Yeah, well, this comes back to you know Jesus' answer to the, the question about what's the greatest commandment, where he basically says, you know, love God with everything you are. He talks about loving God with your heart and with your strength, but also he talks about loving God with all of your mind. Uh, and I think Christian students particularly have a calling to... Uh, to love God with their mind and to think about their faith as much as at the same level or, or as their academic studies and to try and think about the the relationship, the integration of those things together. Um, so in terms of um, philosophy, uh, I mean, obviously, literally, the, 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 the subject name means uh, the love of wisdom from the Greek philo and sophia, uh, love of wisdom. Uh, and um, the Bible has a lot to say uh, about wisdom, uh, loving God uh, with our minds, uh, living life wisely, and so on. Um, and it certainly was my experience uh, as a Christian going to university and studying philosophy that although I found one or two of my philosophy professors antagonistic, uh, I also found other professors who uh, were encouraging 
to me in the process of of integrating my faith and um, the subject matter of philosophy. And a lot of the um, the philosophers that we studied in class uh, were, of course, believers, uh, at least in God, or indeed explicitly Christian believers. So you may have a, an atheist uh, professor, but the class that he's teaching is leading you to read folks like Aristotle and Thomas Aquinas and Rene Descartes and John Locke. And uh, you think, oh, okay, the guys we're studying here, actually, uh, many of them are believers. One last area I wanted to, to ask about as we sort of uh, sort of head towards the, the end of the, the podcast. Mm. You know, I'm very conscious, it's very easy when we, we talk about the new atheism as we just uh, did for a, a bulk of our conversation. So I think that the world out there is incredibly atheistic, that it's incredibly yeah. secular. Yeah. And I think Christians often run away from that and are quite frightened. On the other hand, I think what I see all over the place, and I, and I think you do too from comments you've made sort of elsewhere, that actually in the one sense we live in a very spiritually intrigued mm. uh, world and i know you've talked about things like the argument from desire and argument from beauty which uh you know arguments that speak in into that you know what do you think is actually going on in in western culture right now are we becoming increasingly secular or is it just that we live in a, a spiritually but confused age and if spirituality is mm. is the thing how as christians do we connect into that and find that as a, as a bridge to the gospel peter yeah. Wow. That's uh, a short question. To, a short question to, to, to end our time with. We've, uh, we've got three minutes, so you've got no, no pressure at all. Christianity is actually growing at a global level. Uh, uh, Christian dedication is shrinking uh, in the secularized West. And as you say, by, by, by secularized here, we, we don't have this old picture that, that, that sociologists used to have of, uh, you know, uh, religion would uh, just decline in Western societies and we'd become more and more sort of um, atheistic and materialistic and so on. Um, but rather what we're finding is that, that religion and spirituality is still uh, very important to people who no longer consider themselves to be Christian or, or traditionally religious or committed to particular uh, sort of uh, religious traditions um, with uh, the growth of um, what's been called the so-called nuns, the people who on census mm. say sort of none of the above. Um, but the nuns are... Uh, overwhelmingly interested in uh, spiritual issues and spirituality, uh, various religious practices and so on. Uh, they're not, um, you know, uh, becoming um, secular humanist materialists like Richard Dawkins. That's still a very small, although slightly growing percentage of, of society, it would seem, in places like America and the UK. Um, so there is still a, a, a thirst and an interest for um you know the meaning and purpose of life, and the, the the more to life than you can fit within the 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 materialistic and uh, naturalistic uh, sort of description of reality. Um, but people are in our society have certainly moved away from uh, Christian and other traditional ways of looking at that. Um, but they're not, uh, by and large, moving into uh, the naturalistic box. I think what's interesting is that you. I agree, and I think you see that all over the place. I mean, I'm being very struck by the fact that some of our 
you know, sort of leading public intellectuals are writing books around these these themes. I mean, um, Tom Holland's big book, Dominion, yeah. uh, that came out in the last year that's made a lot of splash in the press, uh, really looking at how, you know, the Christianity just underpins so much of what we, have, we, we take for granted in the West. And then um, most recently reading reading some of Douglas Murray's, Murray's work. And, and Douglas is an atheist. He's, he's gay. He's a, a sort of conservative sort of philosopher and, and, and journalist. And again, this longing for spirituality that comes through. So I guess that's just the final question, really, Peter, just to press into if that if that if that's there as as you reckon as you recognize it is, mm. is the case i think i very much agree with you how do we tap into it how do we how do we use that as a, as a bridgehead yeah. to the gospel recognizing it's there what's a, yeah. what's a great way for, for christians listening to this to, that when they hear their friends you know perhaps express some of these longings to then try and use that to, to nudge them towards Christ. What would you? What would your advice be? Yeah, uh, my advice would be not to abandon the sort of traditional notion of apologetics as involving giving people uh, reasons and evidence uh, for believing Christianity to be true, but to supplement that, to think very carefully about how we present that information and engage with people at the level not only of truth but also of goodness and beauty. Um, so that we have a, a, a rounded, holistic uh, message, because the gospel we have to share is a, is a rounded and holistic message. Um, you know, Christ calling us to love God with all of our hearts and souls and minds and strength, uh, and um, calling himself, you know, he is the way, the truth, the life, saying he's the good shepherd, and using a Greek word there that doesn't just mean, you know, morally good, but attractive, uh, he uses the Greek word kalos. I, I am the sort of the beautiful good shepherd. Uh, uh, so we want to um, do justice to the gospel that we have by engaging people on all of those levels and showing people that we, we have a message uh, about um, a, a saviour who is not only the truth, but who is good, uh, who offers a beautiful way of life and so on. And I think uh, by uh, emphasising uh, the true, the good, and the beautiful aspects of Christ, uh, we can uh, engage people at a more um, sort of uh, holistic uh, level. I think that would be a good thing for us to to learn and, and to uh, focus on, on trying to do more. Peter, that's, um, that's a wonderful place uh, to end, just on the way that the, the gospel speaks us so much in life, both the, the heart and the mind and the soul. Thank you for, for, for taking us there at the end of the interview. It's been a real privilege to have you uh, on the podcast, Peter. Thank you for joining us. Likewise, thank you. And I hugely encourage people listening to this, if you've enjoyed what Peter has said, do check out Peter's website. There'll be a, there'll be a link uh, in the show notes where you can find uh, all of Peter's books and articles and much more, uh, much more content. So, uh, Peter, again, blessings to you. Thank you very much, Andy. Hello, everybody. I just wanted to take a moment to uh, let you know if you weren't aware that the Pep Talk podcast is produced by the Solas Centre for Public Christianity. As an organisation, we're committed both to sharing the uh, the gospel outside the four walls of the church, but also teaching and training and equipping Christians uh, for evangelism with great resources like this podcast. You can join with us and help us do more of this uh, hugely important work by supporting Solas. Just visit the Solas website at solas-cpc.org, click on the donate button and you can become a monthly donor for as little as £3 a month. And as a thank you for your support, we will send you a copy of my book, The Atheist Who Didn't Exist, or you can choose a copy of Christy Mayer's book, uh, More Truth, and uh, you can get behind the work that we do, both in terms of training and evangelism. 
Hope you enjoyed the show and look forward to seeing you next time.